0: people tonight, millions of people around the world are going to be anxiously awaiting Santa Claus. Now, sure, most of them are like under four foot tall, but still, some of you that are a little taller than that, you still somehow believe in Santa Claus. Somebody said that in the world today, there's approximately two billion children that are under the age of 18. Of course, Santa doesn't visit all of them because some of them have been bad. You have to take the number of Muslims and Hindu and Jewish and Buddhist children that don't believe in Santa Claus, and so that's going to take the workload that Santa's going to have to do, about 15% or about 378 million children if you read one of the population uh, reference bureaus. And and if you look at the average census rate of 3.5 children per household, I'm not sure why there's half children in households, but we'll figure that out later. And presuming that at least one child in all of those households uh, you know, has been good, then Santa Claus is going to have to visit 108 million homes. Now, if you take in account the way the world turns and the time zones that you have and the rotation of the earth, and if you assume that he travels east to west, which does seem logical, you'd have to know that Santa Claus has 31 hours in which to work with to visit 108 million homes. That works out to be roughly 967.7 visits per second. <laughs> that means... At every house that has a good child, Santa has one one-thousandth of a second to park the sleigh, hop out, jump down the chimney, fill the stockings, distribute the remaining presents under the tree, eat remaining snacks lit or left for him, get back in the chimney, jump in the sleigh, and get to the next house in one one-thousandth of a second. For the purpose of our calculations, we're going to assume that those 108 million stops are evenly distributed across the globe, which we know is false, but what it means is that every house would be approximately .78 miles, or you know about three quarters of a mile away from each other, which is a total trip of 75.5 million miles, not counting bathroom stops or breaks. If you're going to cover that type of ground in 31 hours, then you have to understand that Santa's sleigh has to move at 650 miles per second or 3,000 times the speed of sound. Now, just to show you how this works and the miraculous thing that that must be is the fastest man-made vehicle, which is the Ulysses space probe, it it, it moves at a pokey 27.4 miles per second. And also that a conventional reindeer can only run at best 15 miles per hour. Now, the payload of this here sleigh is another interesting element. If you assume that every child only gets a a medium-sized Lego set which weighs 2 pounds, the sleigh is going to have to carry 500,000 tons, not counting Santa himself on land we know that a conventional reindeer can pull no more than 300 pounds in air even if you grant that the flying reindeer could pull more than 10 times the normal amount you would have to know that 9 or 8 reindeer is not going to do it Santa would need 360,000 reindeer to pull that that increases the payload not counting the weight of the sleigh another 54,000 tons are basically the weight of Queen Elizabeth not not the monarch but the ship 600,000 tons Traveling at 650 miles per second creates an incredible amount of air resistance which would heat up the reindeer in the same fashion that a spacecraft, when it re-enters the atmosphere, and we know that the lead reindeer would absorb 14.3 quintillion joules of energy per second. In short, they would spontaneously burst into flames, exposing the reindeer behind them, and on and on and on, and it would create sonic booms one after another, and the entire reindeer team would be... Vaporize within 4.26 thousandths of a second are about the time that Santa reached the fifth house on his trip. Not that that matters, because if Santa, as a result from accelerating from a dead stop, to 650 miles per second in .001 seconds, he would be subjected to centrifugal forces of 17,500 Gs, which means a 250-pound Santa, which does seem ludicrously slim, would be pinned to the back of the sleigh by 4,315,015 pounds of force, instantly crushing his bones and organs and reducing him to a quivering bob of glue. Blob, not bob. Blob of goo. And somebody says it's hard to believe there's a God. Hmm. The whole story of Santa is very interesting, a little creepy too because you got the song about he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake. That's a creepy reason. But it is the reason for the season. If you're good, you get presents. If you're not good, You get coal, you get nothing, or if you choose to believe the Krampus tale, you get eaten by the Krampus. So there's all lots of things you can do, but you know, the story of Jesus is far-fetched. He's making a list, he's checking it twice, he's going to find out who's naughty or nice because Santa Claus is coming to town. Zane's back there, and I remember a couple years ago, and I probably said it here, but a couple years ago, uh, Brother Tony Ball had brought me some coal for Foraging and and, and, and my coal forage that I had And so he had got it from an Illinois uh, uh, coal mine And so he brought it and he dropped it off And it was around Christmas time And so he decided all on his own But Tony Ball did He put a little, some coal in a little uh, uh, red igloo cooler And he stuck it on the front door And he said to Zane and Zoe from Santa We got home and Zane and Zoe opened it up and and they kind of didn't know what to do with it. But later on, Sister Buford and I overheard them talking. They were littler back then, but overheard them talking. And Zane said, and I don't know if this was his exact words, but this was the gist. Uh, He didn't know we were listening. He leaned over to Zoe. He said, Zoe, I don't know if Santa is real or not, but I think we better be good just in case. It was a great Christmas holiday season. (laughs) But somehow that... And I'm I'm, I'm mixing metaphors, I know that. But somehow that theology of Santa bleeds into our theology of God. And, And at first glance it does seem to fit because the book of Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 3 says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. So at first glance it does seem that he is watching us, he is seeing us. And that main theme of the song I sung that is so, you know, just warms your heart, the nothing for Christmas, it hinges on that snitch. It hinges on that accuser. Any of you that have siblings, have you ever been accused by your siblings of doing something? Absolutely. And according to Revelation chapter 10, or chapter 12, verse 10, we know that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. But I would like to tell you today, that God is not a cosmic Santa. In fact, the very reverse is true. And while the Lord sees us when we're sleeping and while the Lord knows when we're awake and however the Lord does know every sin and God knows every transgression that you and I have done and even has recorded those sins in the annals of heavens and He knows about our warts and He knows about our shortcoming. But Christmas should not remind you that if you're good, you get good things and if you're bad, you get bad things. Instead, I would like to tell you that the song is wrong this Christmas I get everything I need. Brother Peters, when you prayed for our offering, you, you quoted or, or or paraphrased this, but let me just say it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world, here it is, to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might B saved. For he that believeth on him, and I'm going to use Jesus when it says him, just so you are for sure know who I'm talking about. He that believeth in Jesus is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So that everyone that does evil hates the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved but he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that are wrought in God did you catch that? God did not come to earth to condemn you now I'm not preaching some watered down sissified pansy doctrine or gospel I want you to understand God did not come to condemn you because you were already condemned in your sin and trespasses If he had never stepped foot on this earth, the law of God already showed that you and I had sinned and come short of the glory of God, and all are sinners. In fact, Romans says this, and I like it, and I use it a lot. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, you're being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, we glory in tribulations also, for we know that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts that the Holy Ghost, or by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And here's the key. For when we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure, or maybe a good man, for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us that while you And I were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And being much more, we're now justified by His blood. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, being much more, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we've received the atonement. Did you catch that? We were enemies, we were separated, we were ungodly, we weren't good. Now the song says I'm getting nothing for Christmas because I've been bad. But I would like to tell you Christmas is the exact opposite. It really didn't matter how bad you were, the gift was coming anyway. Ephesians 2, 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. In the past we had it in our lust of the flesh. We fulfilled the desires of our heart and mind. We were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. There wasn't one redeeming quality about any of us. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us that even when we were dead in sin hath he quickened us together by Christ with Christ for by grace you are saved now i don't know about you but i i've read the book of job and the job, book of job gives us a, a little insight into the courtroom of god or or the, the, the court of god God sits on the throne and angels would come before His throne and they would make presentations or they would say something, whatever they felt like saying. And and in the book of Job, chapter 1, I believe all the way through chapter 3, you find the story of Satan coming before God and trying to turn people and saying, God, you don't play fair. These people love you because you've blessed them. These people love you because they have all of their, their problems taken care of. God says, that's not it at all. Satan goes, well, let me, let me take something away from somebody that loves you and let's see how long they last. And God says, go ahead. And that's why you get the book of Job and all of the problems that Job went through. But in that, maybe I could extrapolate out, I kind of get the feeling that that little accuser still likes to snitch on you and I today. Even more so than just our conscience that gets the hold of us when we do something wrong. I just have this understanding that up in heaven there's a, a, an access that Satan still has. And he comes in and he says, oh, do you remember what so and so did? Do you remember what Mike did the other day? God did. Do you remember what Brother Dale did the other day? And, 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 and how in the world would you ever love them? I'm convinced that the thing that drives the devil madder than anything else is the fact that Satan sinned and came short of the glory of God and was kicked out of heaven. And then he looks at you and I who do just about as bad as he did and God still says, you know what? I love them. Drives him crazy. He goes with a whole litany of of sin, a list of sin that you have done and he thinks that that song that I sung, you're getting nothing for Christmas and perhaps it is that as he brings those, he thinks that he can change God's mind. But God said, no, for Christmas, I'm going to give him everything. Romans 8, 28 has to be close to one of my favorite passages of Scripture. For we know, All things work together for good to them that love God. To them that are called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed into the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among the brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, those He also glorified. At first glance, this seems to be a very Calvinistic understanding that God would sit in heaven and arbitrarily decide who He loves and who He doesn't love. That He would pick, I'm going to save them, I'm not going to save them. But that predestination that is written in the book of Romans does, is not that. God knows everything. What that means is, God knew every time you were going to lie. God knew every time you were going to sin. God knew everything you were going to do bad. And still, he made up his mind, I'm going to make a way that they can be saved. Before they're even born, I'm going to predestinate them for salvation. Not that you are saved automatically, but automatically salvation is for you. Before you took one breath of your life, the Lord knew how many sins you're going to commit. Before you took one breath of your life, the Lord knows where your your will is going to go. But the Lord says it doesn't matter because my salvation is not gained on merit alone. My salvation is not gained on how good someone is. For God so loved the world. He looked over his list if you will He checked it twice In fact I was was reading uh, In in my devotional I was reading and and came upon the the story of Judas At the beginning Not not Judas's ending But Judas's kind of his beginning And the Lord even at the beginning When the Lord called Judas The Lord knew that what Judas was going to do Around that garden of Gethsemane But he still called him Judas didn't have to make that choice But he did. But the Lord said, my mercy and my grace is not gained by those who deserve it. It's gained by those who will open the gift. It goes on to say in Romans chapter 8, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's that accuser of the brethren again. The devil could come and he could give everything you've done wrong. But the Bible says who is able to lay anything to the charge of those that God has called. And it does give the answer. There's only one. The God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? Only one. It's Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again. And then verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who uh, uh, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature can separate us from the love of God. This is more than just saying Satan can't separate you from the love of God. This says your sins can't even separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. I know there's moments where you look back over your life kind of like they looked over this song. Broke a bat on somebody's head hit a frog in someone's bed. I spilled ink on mama's rug, made Johnny eat a bug. I bought gum with a penny slug. For those of you that don't know what a penny slug is, it's basically a little disc of metal that's the same size and weight as a penny, and you could get gum out of a vending machine by not really putting money in it. You just kind of put something that was like it. It's really stealing. I put a tack on teacher's chair, tied a knot in a girl's hair. I, Tore up grandma's plants, climbed a tree, probably when I shouldn't have, and tore my pants. I filled the sugar bowl up with ants, and somebody snitched on me. We look back, and we look at all the things we've done in our life, and it would lay out kind of like this. I told a lie. I got angry and mad and sinned. And I-, I could go deeper sins if you'd like sins that, that aren't quite as what we would say innocuous you know the sins that really mean something probably some adultery and fornication there's probably some some hatred there's probably some variance just keep going down the list and you could say it and that old devil likes to snitch but at the end of that song it says this next year I'll be going straight next year I'll be good just you wait I'd start now, but it's too late because somebody snitched on me. Here's the problem with that song. The next year, that list would be about the same. If he didn't break the bat on that one's head, he'd run over somebody with his bicycle or he'd find another girl to aggravate and he'd do something to Grandpa's tools or Because there's just something about you and I that seems like it's real hard for us to live right. But I'd like to tell you today that it's not too late. Peter wrote in his his, uh, uh, epistle, he says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Doesn't matter if it's Christmas Eve. It's not too late. To let God touch you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Any of you still got to do some Christmas shopping tonight? You're going to go brave the crowds and the snow and all the other chaos because you forgot something. Can I tell you that while no one's going to get to heaven by the skin of their teeth, there will be people that get to heaven that were saved moments before. Not because they planned it that way. But the, the parable of the, of, the, of the man that paid his, his workers and he paid the same wage whether they started in the morning or they started at noon or they started in the evening applies that there is, it's not too late right now to accept the gift that God wants to give you. The song says I'm getting nothing for Christmas. But Jesus said I have gave you everything for Christmas. Even when you didn't deserve it, even when I had a whole list of all the bad things you've done, I came that you might be saved. Sister Peters, you did a phenomenal job. That's it. When I asked Sister Peters to do that, I didn't tell her anything. I didn't give her any guidelines or anything like that. But when I asked her to tell the Christmas story, in the back of my mind, I said, I wish she would use a flannel graph. And she said she was going to. I love watching that. The way you ended that by reminding us that from the lowly shepherd to a ruler or magi, from the dregs of society to the one that thinks they have it all together, Christ came for them. He came not only for the Jew, but for the Gentile. Not only for the smart, but for those that aren't so smart. He came for all. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and all needed a Savior. And tonight, or this morning rather, I want to remind you that this Christmas you can get everything. Would you stand today? I so very thankful for this church and this family, and uh, we're a blessed people. And while the end of the year is a time of reflection, it's also a time of looking forward. And and I do. I've reflected over this year, and I'm looking forward to what God is going to do next year. I'm just thankful to be a part of it and before we end I want Brother Justin to come and this praise team I want us to sing one more uh, Christmas carol and then we have a gift for the families here but let's sing one more Christmas carol